Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics Magazine, on sale now. From the dirt tracks across Australia, welcome to Inside Speedway with Dennis Newman and Craig Revelle. Well, Dennis, it's great to be back again on Inside Speedway and always fantastic when you get to have a Speedway Hall of Fame member join us for a chat. And our guest today was a 2011 inductee into that Speedway Hall of Fame. Yes, of course, we were talking about the one and only uh, from Queensland, Blair Shepherd, who was an Australian speed car champion, uh, one of the most colourful personalities in the sport over many years. He also drove super modifieds. He even, even drove dragsters at one stage and won an Australian drag racing championship. A very colourful personality and never short of uh, never stuck for a word and i'm really looking forward to speaking with blair yeah it is going to be uh, great to hear from blair shepherd our guest on inside speedway today inside speedway is available on sportsradio.com.au itunes spotify and the dirt track channel.com well it's great to have joining us on the show one of Queensland's finest, Blair Shepherd. Thanks for joining us here on Inside Speedway. Fine, Craig. Good, good to be able to talk. Well, it's been a few years since you retired. What year did you stop racing Speedway? I can remember it well, 1971. So how did you go as then a watcher of Speedway, not a driver? Well, I, I didn't watch all that much. I was involved with a fellow driver. We had a Speedway out at Archerfield, which was racing jalopies that's all and uh, so that was that took up most of my time so I sort of got out of the speedway found because I had a family my boy was involved in BMX racing and all that sort of caper so I uh, I went along with that more than it more than the speedway scene but I did follow it without being there <coughs> well we definitely talk about your BMX involvement a little bit later in the interview Sure. Now, Blair, you came through the golden era of Australian Speedway, no question of that. Um, if I asked you to describe it, what would you tell me? Well, you, you hit the word right. It was, a, it was the golden era. It was a very special time, and I was blessed to be able to get into the sport at that time. I started in 1960, and uh, <clears throat> I, I, I fell into it. I didn't know much about Speedway. I'd hardly ever been. And uh, I, I, through a friend of mine, um, the late Des Kelly, uh, he introduced me to uh, some chaps that owned that were fixing up a race car that belonged to a fellow called Steve Howman. And Steve had met an untimely end in it down in Adelaide a, a month or two before. And uh, so I was just uh, right... I was just happened to be there, and I saw the car. I'd never even stood beside one, and I couldn't believe it when they fired it up. They pushed it to get it to go, and when they when they did get it to go, it was a Repco Holden, a six-cylinder Repco Holden, and boy, it fired me up. I'd never dreamed that such a little thing, a small thing, could have so much grunt. Now, Blair, that was the start. Now, in later years, you led the way. Uh 
with the development of the Offenhauser equipment in Brisbane. Now, I mean, I've written many articles about this. I call it the Offie capital of Australia. Where did it all that, how did all that involvement begin? Because you brought in a number of cars yourself. You bought um, cars from Don Mackay in Sydney originally. Um, where, where and what, what was your impressions of these Offenhauser cars? To be honest, my, my involvement in all things I did, I was a buyer and seller, that's all. I was, I was never very smart other than the fact that the good Lord endowed me the, with the ability to buy something, pretty it up and sell it and get a profit. And that's how I was able to go racing because as, you, as you'd be well aware, uh, there was a lot of boys that raced or men that raced with me that their, their priorities were wrong. They didn't put the, 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 the prior, their priority was not to make money to be able to afford racing. They just wanted to go racing. Just don't worry about anything else. Just race, race, race. And you can't do that. You had to go out with a firm direction to make money to be able to afford to have the good gear. And often houses, have, having started with a Holden, and uh, I stumbled onto that often houser through Frank Arthur, the, the promoter in Brisbane, He's, I came up to get my check one Monday morning after the racing, and uh, he, <clears throat> Frank Arthur, he, um, we, we've got a, I've got an often house we bought out a couple of years ago for Bob Tattersall to race. Now we don't want it anymore. We thought you might like to buy it. Well, I said, I don't want to buy it, but I'll drive it. You let me have it, and I'll drive it. Well, they didn't want to do that. He had a partner in Sydney, John Sherwood, who you'd all be well aware of, and, and the pair of them oh, yeah. got me on the phone. And the, we got on the phone and talked about it, and uh, we haggled a little bit, and I finished up buying the car off them. And uh, <clears throat> yeah. from there on, it was, it was that, Offenhauser's was where the way we lived. Uh, that was the Cassia, uh, Casio Offenhauser. That, Cas um, the Casio Offenhauser, yes. Nice little yeah, car. Yeah, that's right. Now, it's beautiful, beautiful little car. Uh, a superb car, and you had many great wins in that car, Blair. Yeah, I was lucky enough to uh, put the pedal down hard enough to get to the front a few times. That's one of the things that I tell you what, I always like. Yeah, just saying, Blair, as a matter of fact, I only wrote recently on Facebook, a matter of days ago, the 26th of March, 1966, uh, was the night of the World Speed Car Championship at the Brisbane Exhibition Ground, as those races were called in those days. And and yep. um, you drove the, the little Casio to a, one of its best. I was there. I saw the race. And you defeated Sherman Cleveland and Bob Tattersall on a, on a night that I will always remember. It was a great. And that was the second year in a row because the year earlier you made the breakthrough becoming the first domestic driver to win this world particular World Speed Car Championship at the Ecker. But that night I remember, oh, Man, what a night, a massive crowd, uh, and, you, and you drove the wheels off that car. Well, it was a good little car, and uh, the, the whole thing, it, it's, a, it, it's an involvement of a lot of things. Being able to get to the front and win a good race, or win any race, you've got to have other things. You've got to have, number one, a good car. You've got to have, number two, be able to afford to keep it going good. And number three, and the most important, a very, very good alert mechanic, which I had in young Billy Moore. He, I met him 
at my car yard in Brisbane within a couple of days of buying my first race car, and he knew nothing about cars, but he convinced me that he knew more than I did. And uh, he, from then on, he was my. He, we got the the old Repco Holden going and made it win a few races, and then we got into the office. And he was a very talented mechanic. Let me tell you. Yes, yeah, so he. You, you just answered my my, ne- my very next question. Uh, Billy Moore and Blair Shepherd were for quite a while there an almost unbeatable duo. Well, we did our very best. Let's put it that way. We had, we had, as I said, we had the car and the machinery, and I had the business to be able to. I realised early that it's not just hopping in a car; it's hopping in it when it's right, and it had to be right by my mechanic. My mechanic, Billy Moore, was the man that I've got to dump a lot of credit on because he was a great. A great young fellow at that time. He's nearly my age, mind you, but uh, he was good. Can you talk us through, Blair, what was the Ecker like back in that that heyday, the 60s? And having, you know, that you're driving the Sydney Showground and the Ecker, everyone talks about those two tracks, but whilst they were both Showground tracks, there were some big differences between the two. Yeah, there was a lot of difference. Uh, the surfaces were the thing. The Brisbane surface was um, was a um, granite. Well, it wasn't clay. The, the Brisbane, the, the Sydney circuit was wasn't clay either, but it was a a very tacky material. I don't know. I never did find out what what it was that held it. That, but it held up pretty well. But the Brisbane exhibition ground never changed. It was a good race track. It was the right shape. <clears throat> it suited. My driving style, and and the car, that little car, was a great little car, and it was it did everything I wanted it to do in a in a, and in a sensible fashion. You did like to go and get your cars over in the states, and well, I can clarify that. Really, what happened, as I said, I was a buyer and seller. I was in the car business, and I can remember Bobby Tattersall coming to me uh, after I bought that first car. And he said to me, uh, I'm, I'm bringing another car out. Would you want to buy it? And I said, well, I'll buy it if the price is right. And I want to make money out of it, Bob. That's what the name of the game is with me. Uh, and, and he said, well, right, well, when I get out there, I'll let you have a look at it. So he let me have a look at it. And a few other fellas were messing him around, wanting to buy it. And they never put their money in, their hand in their pocket deep enough. So I bought it, cleaned it up. I think I drove it and put my number on it or something for a couple of nights and then sold it. And uh, that's, that's how, I, how I did them all. Really, I only ever bought one car in America, and that was my good car, the last car I had. That's the, but, the uh, Champion Mufflers. Number. Yeah, the Champion Muffler car. Good car. I bought it in America through Marshall Sargent. Remember, he was a, a mod- modified, a super modified driver that came out and I got friendly with him. And he told me about this car that was over there and I could buy it at a good price. I <clears throat> went over and bought a few cars, uh, ordinary cars, to buy and sell as I was buying and selling. I just bought that. I saw that little champion muffler car and I just built it. I thought, well, this is a good little car. And I, 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 it won a few races for me. It certainly did, Blair. As a matter of fact, it won the Australian Championship. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, yeah. I'll just take you back to that night. Um, it was at the Sydney Showground, and uh, the the WRM Performance Cars Offenhauser number ninety nine uh, just just ran like clockwork on the night. But I just want to take you back to getting that title run. I don't know if you recall the lead up to the actual grand final that year, but it rained on the Saturday night and it was washed out, the meeting. And uh-huh. um, the promoters, John Sherwood and Frank Arthur, said, okay, well, well, we'll run it on the Monday night. And it was washed out again. Uh, they deferred it 24 hours, and I might add, there was no land and environment court or council decision made here whether you could run or not run. In those days, the world was different anyway. So we all come back again on the Tuesday night to the Sydney showground to run the Craven Fielder National Speedcar Drivers Championship Grand Final that you were virtually on the verge of winning. You had enough points, but you still had to go out and do the job on the night, which you did. But Tuesday night was also washed out. So here we go. We gather again on the Wednesday night. It was a midweek meeting now, Blair. I don't know if you recall yeah. all of this, but it was one Not of those really. things that just... Hit the, yeah, well, you went out there and on the night, Wednesday night, and there was a big crowd there, a crowd that by today's standards would be very, very good, on, I, might, I might add, and got the job done. But, Blair, what was so special about that car I mean, it was an immaculate machine. What was, or my, my, for my memory of it, and uh, I, uh, as I said, I, I was not, I, I never had anything to do with getting the car good. Billy did all that. Billy Moore was the man. But <clears throat> we knew how, between us, we knew how to talk and tell each other what, what the car was handling like. And, of course, as most people that uh, were involved with Speedway would realise that it was all about getting the power of those little cars to the ground because they were only, uh, well, one and a half litres. Uh, and, and although they were fuel injected, they still had to be controlled and they had to be got, got going. And Billy was the right man for me. He did it good. What I'm interested to find out is you put a roll cage on the car. And I think you're credited as one of the first Australians to do that. No, what actually happened? That wasn't that car. Uh, I was I was in America, as I said. I, I being in the auto business, I was over there buying cars every year. I'd go over and buy a truckload of cars and bring them out. I was into the Mustangs and the Camaros and the Corvettes and all that sort of caper. <clears throat> but uh, I I uh, just trying to think. Anyway, what happened was. Uh, I, I, I uh, went over, I'm just getting, I'm losing where I was at, uh, trying to tell you that, uh, I, that the car that I put the cage on was the brand new car that Don Edmonds in California built for me. When I won the national title in 1969, uh, I, won it, I was sponsored by Valvoline and they sent me to America and Part of the deal was introducing me to Don Edmonds, and through Don Edmonds, I was introduced to Halibrand and all all the people that put a car together. Don Edmonds built the car and put it together for me. 
specifically for me, exactly the one. And uh, it was a good car, but it was a four-bar car, what we call a four-bar car. Most drivers understood that. Uh, but at being a four-bar car, um, it, it didn't appeal to me like my old car, the, the car that I bought off Champion Mufflers. It, it, was, it just did things the way I needed it to do. And I, I did drive the four-bar car, but only a few times. I, I, uh, one of my co-drivers, uh, a chap by the name of Bob Morgan, you'd be aware of Bob, um, he, um, uh, what he did was he, uh, he, he took the car over and drove it. And it was, he was doing good on it. He drove well. But again, it was all about Billy Moore. Billy Moore got all our cars going. Now, Blair, I remember all of this. Um, when Bob Morgan joined your team, you you had him for a little while in the Cashel offie, and then when you brought in that Don Edmonds car, this was the season that he actually won the national championship, Bob Morgan, and you made it yep. taboo with him in the car at Raleigh Park for the South Australian round, if I remember correctly. And well, Bob what happened went out was and won when... that round. Well, when I was, uh, when that particular round, when Bob won the national title, I was leading the point score, but we had with my little, with the uh, original car, the champion muffler car, and we were pushing the car out onto the track for the start of the race, and the the universal joint connecting the gearbox, the dog box to the back end, fell out. It had. We, we were blessed that we didn't start it because we'd have started it in the race. It might have let go and might have pumped me over the fence. But anyway, it stopped. We couldn't get it to go. And so Bob was driving the uh, the um, four-bar car. And uh, so he went out and won the race. I, did, I was able to run in it. Yeah, you, you guys, uh, for those couple of years there, you, you travel the lengths and the breadths of Australia, you and, and Bob Morgan, and, and the Queenslanders really dominated, Blair. I mean, what was this turnaround? Because particularly at the Sydney showground, it had been many, many years, uh, uh, Queenslanders were coming down here to try and win a main event at the Sydney showground. And literally when they did, and if memory serves me correctly, it was Bill Good who actually made the breakthrough. But after that, the floodgates opened. You know, you won. Barry Valentina won a feature race. Bob you know, like it was on for young and old. You blokes were winning everything. <laughs> well, it all got back to the machinery and uh, the, the way the machinery was looked after. Uh, the, we were the drivers, but we uh, all we had to do was hop in the car and be fit. We had to be fit, obviously, uh, and alert. Uh, and uh, that was that was the name of the game in those days. You had to get the job done, and uh, you had to be able to put the foot down, I suppose. That was the name of the game, getting to the front. And the beautiful thing I liked about Speedway, that I, I, quite a few pe- people uh, approached me and said, well, what about getting into road racing? <clears throat> but I, my thinking about road racing was that I didn't think it was a fair sport. You see, with, with road racing, the man that had the money could buy the best car and he'd start on the front. Now that didn't seem right to me. I thought if you go, if you're going to work hard in your private life, 
to get enough money to buy a good car and get enough money to know people that will keep it going, well, then the next the next thing you had to do, well, my, my feeling or my intuition about the way road racing against Speedway was that road racing favoured the man with the money to get the car and then get on the front. I thought that the idea was to get the car, have it so that you could win from the back, and that's what Speedway was. The fastest cars went to the back. We would pay the most money to get to the back, to stay at the back, and win the race from the back. And that's why I thought it was a good sport, and I never picked up on road racing. I just thought Speedway was the name of the game. Well, you're right there, Blair. That's what what the entertainment was, the fastest from the back. And I tell you what, Blair, winning a feature race from the back of the field at the Brisbane Exhibition Ground, a tight little quarter mile or not overly wide, would have been quite an assignment, I would imagine. It was, put it this way, it was fun. It was good fun. I look, I look, look, I was in business Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday lunchtime. I was out to make a living out of motor cars. But then once the, once it was time to line the ride the, the load the car up and go to the exhibition ground, my life changed. I was then in the speedway mind. And I used to like going to the Speedway, and I loved giving it my all. You were in love with the Speedway, and obviously they loved you up in Queensland. And you had a few little, you had a few little uh, odd, odd things to promote yourself and to promote your racing and probably your businesses as well. You put a wing on a open cage, well, a non-roll cage midget, I believe. Yeah, that's right. That was that car that Don Edmonds built for me, and <clears throat> and he put a cage on it and and gave me a wing for it. He wanted to try and sell wings out here in Australia, but of course, when I got here, the club jumped on it and they said, "No, you can't run that. You can't run the cage. You can't run a ring." But anyway, it was something that gave me a bit of publicity, I suppose. Look, all my all my speedway publicity was good for my business. Because I was in sports cars. My business was all about sports cars. And therefore, the more I got, the more publicity I got for Blair Shepherd and the Offenhauser car was good for my car business. Can you explain why you were carrying around your own personal black flag? No, I, I, I can remember vaguely. In fact, you wouldn't believe No, I haven't got it here. I've got a flag on the wall, but it's a winning flag. No, uh, Look, I think what happened, I was black flagged by the, by, the, by the officials. I must have done something wrong. I can't imagine me ever doing anything wrong, can you? <laughs> if you, if you <laughs> I, I was a clean, clean driver. But, but anyway, that's what happened. They black flagged me and the crowd didn't like it. I got the crowd on side and that was the thing. I mean, you're, look, it was just a bit of a, I suppose, a salesman's gimmick. Um, but I managed to stir the crowd up enough to get them to make the the, uh, officials put me back in the race. (laughs) You also, on a trip to America, virtually brought BMX to Australia. By default, I had a son, 15 or 16 years of age, Scott, and he was interested in 
bicycles, BMX. We didn't really have BMX in Australia, but we had dragster bikes. And he used to love getting out there and jumping over the gutter and and I'd get the bill to re, re-spoke a car above the wheel, I'm sorry. Uh, and I got, I didn't get sick of it, but I thought to myself, there must be something better than we can do. And I went to, we went to America for something entirely different. We went over there to have a look at a motor race at the Coliseum, the new, the Los Angeles Coliseum. There was a fellow called, uh, oh, geez, I forget his name now, I think of it. But anyway, he was the promoter, Mike Goodwin, Mike Goodwin. He promoted motocross in the Los Angeles Coliseum. And Scott had read about it, and so he said, let's go, Dad. So he flew over there, and uh, we went to the meeting and had a great time. And uh, the next day, I got talking to Mike Goodwin, and I said to him, Mike, I'd like to know a little bit about how you set this thing up. And he was a bit abrupt, and he said, well, why would I want to tell you that? And I said, well, look, think about it. There are other ways to, to re- be rewarded other than just giving me information. I said, tell me, get me in the, in the loop of what you're doing, and I'll uh, fly you out to Australia for, for a, a race car meeting, a motorbike race meeting. So that got me off the ground with him. And that was the big thing, getting into that motocross. But then with the, with the BMX, the next day we went for a drive, my son and I, and we were hi- hiking down the, the freeway and we saw a paddock with all these expensive motorhomes lining the fence and a heap of kids on bikes jump, jumping over whoop-de-doos. And uh, my son said, Dad, that's BMX. Can we go over and have a look at it? So I said, sure. So we speared off the highway, got down there, had a look at it. And as fate would have it, while my son was hanging over the fence with his tongue hanging out, wishing he had a bike, I went over to, uh, there was a fellow selling bikes and parts and car uh, overalls and helmets and whatnot else in a little van. And I got over talking to him, and we got talking, and we had a few things in common. He uh, he was a fisherman. And I loved. I used to do a lot of marlin fishing, and uh, he wanted to come out here and have a look at marlin fishing and all that. So the, the, it just evolved from that. We just got talking, and um, I said to him, uh, "What well, what is all this about?" And he said, "Well, I'm telling you now." He said, "I used to be in the car business." And he said, I got out of it and I've got into this. And he said, I'm telling you now, this would blow the car business out of the out of the paddock. So I, I just took it on for, for what it was worth and then we went away. The next day, we were staying in, still staying in Los Angeles. I rang him and I said, uh, what, how do we get, get to know a bit about this, the, the commercial side of this? And he said, where are you staying? And I said, I'm over at the Disneyland Hotel. So he said, I'll come and pick you up tomorrow morning. So he picked me up and my son up. And we hopped in his car, nice Cadillac. And uh, we went up up in the car to a place called, oh, I forget where it was now, but anyway, it's a fair way up. And, uh, oh, I know, Orange, Orange, the Orange County Airport. That's where we went. And uh, he t- introduced me to a fellow by the name of Lynn Caston, who made the Redline BMX bikes. And 
he introduced me to another chap by the name of Skip Hess, who was very involved in BMX also. And 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 then one thing led to another, and and I I bought a few bits and pieces off him at the track. I said, uh, well, well, "Will you sell me? Will you, can I do a deal with you on some of those wheels?" My son wanted a couple of wheels, and he said to me, "Dad." I'd like to take a few of these out back to Australia, can we? I said, yeah, we'll get a couple. So I saw the bloke and I did a deal with him. I got 20 pair or something off him and a few trick parts. And uh, we put them in a box and sent them back to Australia. And when we got back here, I, my car yard was at Windsor. And I had a fair bit of land at the bottom of the car yard on the creek. And it, you couldn't build on it. The council wouldn't allow it. But I could smell... What we'd seen in America was probably a thing that you could do here. And because my son was excited about it, so we just went ahead and uh, we got the parts. We opened the boxes full of parts and we had these things called tough wheels. They were plastic wheels. Instead of the silly spokes in a wheel, these were the five spoke wheel and they were tough. And then you could jump over the fence, to jump over the the gutters and whatnot, else, and they were tough. They would stand up to it. So the, I thought, I said to uh, I, I said to my son, I said, what do you think of those wheels? And he said, well, they're great. They're great. They, you know, they're, they're nearly bulletproof. So I said, all right, well, I've got to go back to America in another couple of weeks' time to get some more cars, uh, organised freight and stuff like that. So... I went back and I saw the bloke, the uh, this this Howie Cohen that sold me the parts that I took back, and uh, <clears throat> Howie said to me, uh, "Oh, I said to Howie, that's right. I said I want to buy a few more." So he he said, "Look, come out to the airport and we'll go and meet Lynn Caston again. He's got an aeroplane out there, and we, we'll fly up to meet the bloke the plastic wheels." He said, you've got nothing to do, have you? And I said, no, free today. So uh, we hopped in the plane, in Lynn's plane, nice little twin-engine Cessna, and flew up to Reading, four or 500 miles up the track, had lunch at the golf club and had a good time talking to a few fellas and walked away with a container load of BMX, these wheels, these tough wheels. It was just a, an instant thing, but it was just like buying a car to me. I mean, I was buying Chef Corvettes and paying 20 grand for them to make 30 grand, something like that. And what happened was <clears throat> I saw these tough wheels and they were, I think I was buying them off him for about, uh, I forget what it was now, but it was about $20 a pair. So I bought a container load, brought them back to Australia, and I got knocked over. Everybody wanted them. And I had dealers ringing me up saying, where did you get those wheels from? So that started it all off. I thought, well, I, I made a profit of the first lot. Maybe I'll make a profit of the second lot. And I did. And I, so I went back to America and I bought a few more container loads and brought them out here and started the business up. And uh, I built a BMX track behind my car yard to start with. And then uh, because I was involved in the Speedway, I went to Sydney and I saw Mike Raymond down there who was involved with the guy that ran the Speedway in Sydney. And uh, we agreed to build a track to keep the kids occupied while their dad was racing on the Saturday, on the Friday night, or whatever it was in Sydney. And then we finished up going to Perth. I met Mike 
Con Migro. Mike, uh, Con Migro, yeah. Mike Smith, sorry, Mike Con Migro. And I said to Con, look, this is a good thing. This will keep the, keep the kids interested while the boys are racing, the fathers are all racing. And that worked out good. So that's where it all started. Mm. Well, I know Glenn and I, my brother and I, we were definitely at Liverpool on that BMX track. And, of course, Selby's got involved and then they were making chassis as well. And it it's... It's not Speedway, Dennis, but it's a, a very interesting story of something that, uh, well, BMX Bandits launched the career of one uh, Nicole Kidman. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly she right. Do, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's very oh, true, it, Craig. It, 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 there's think... a lot of people done very well out of, out of BMX. We, we've got a national champion, champion uh, who just hurt himself, won't race anymore, but, but it's, it's a very technical sort of thing. Like it's not just a matter of going down the road and buying over the counter a bike for a thousand dollars or something. Now, some of these bikes are very, very technical, but it's great and it keeps the kids interested and keeps mums and dads on the track too. But I think, Blair, not only were you, were you very successful at this, but but it showed your commercial side of of business. You know, you did this successfully for for you know, quite a while, and you were always able to, I guess, what I remember most about you, Blair, was that you were not only a very, very talented speed car driver, you did also drive super modifieds in the latter part of your career and, and, and had some good success there as well. But your business side of things, you, you utilised your, your appearances at the Brisbane Ecker with your performance uh, cars, car sale yard. You had two, I think, in Brisbane, didn't you, Blair? Yes, I had a few yards. I had a yard up in Ipswich and a couple of yards in Brisbane there. I think at one stage I had four yards. But that wasn't the thing. It was just the fact that keeping your, keeping your eye on the ball, it was just like speedway racing. If you wanted to win races, yeah, yeah. you had to be serious about that while it was on and to do it and win, and Blair, try to win. Yeah. Yeah. And, Blair, you were, you were also a showman. I can remember the gold track suits uh, and I think someone – gave you a, a, a very big wooden spoon as the chief stirrer of the officials and all that sort of thing. Well, the girls, you know. it was a big thing for girls. I mean, I was married with three lower, two lovely kids at the time, so I wasn't interested in girls other than to look at them and talk to them. But there were some good little numbers that used to hang around the pits there where we'd come out and we got talking to one of them, and, and her and her mother came down to the track, and they said, "Look, well, we'd like to make you a uniform, uh, make you, you know, something a little bit flashy." So they made that gold army suit that I used to wear. But uh, and that was uh, the only reason I did it was because I thought, well, it draws a bit of attention to what what I was doing. Blair, it was all in the name of showmanship, and that's why the sport in those days had so many colourful people, editors and drivers, and that's why the sport the sport was so big. Now, Blair, how do you look at Speedway today? Do you follow the sport still to this day? or uh, <coughs> where, where do you sit with the Speedway today? To be honest, I, I just don't see somebody there that's making the... Dr see, it's all about drive. I had the desire to do it and do it properly. But now there doesn't appear to be something... I mean, Ronnie, Ronnie Wallace is involved in it, but he's not involved in that side of it. He's... He's just in it, in it for the quick dollar.
it. Ron's a good bloke, and 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 he knows all about the business side of it. But um, I just can't think, see it getting back together. Somebody told me just recently that there was a, a bit of a talk going on down south that maybe there was somebody going to start it up down there. But uh, look, the thing is this: that when I bought cars, I was buying those race cars, those often houses off the Americans for around five, six thousand dollars. And and giving them a fresh billy more had given them a freshen up for probably a grand. And we put them on the track and win a race with and uh, sell it for ten or 15, ten or twelve grand or something like that. Very easy to do because I had a monopoly. And that's the business that I was in. I was in sports cars and that's the only reason I was in sports cars. Because I had a monopoly. Not any nobody else wanted to sell them. You had to be young enough, and I wasn't young, young, but I was in my late, probably mid thirties at the time. But um, I, I made made a successful living out of it. Yeah, you, you you did, Blair, and also you you bought some pretty famous boats over the years. You liked your fishing, and if I remember well, rightly, and and, and bear, bear me out if I'm correct here. I think you bought one of Bob Dyer's boats. Is that correct? I did, yes. I bought Bob's a Tennessee 3 or thing, which was a good little boat, an American boat, a, 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 a Bertram boat, and it stood me in good stead for a couple of years. Um, I'm just it's sitting in my office here now, and I'm looking at a photograph. I caught a 1,000-pound marlin when I was driving around in that boat, but it was a good boat, and I loved that sport, but only for a short time. I didn't get involved in it for a long time, but I but I enjoyed it while I was doing it, <clears throat> and I gave it all. I gave, that's the secret to anything. You've got to give it give it a fair go. Speedway moved from the Eckert Archer Field. What was your yep. thoughts on that move, and what was Archer Field like? In the transition, well, you see, just a moment. Oh, you'll hear a bird beep there. Trivial, yeah. Well, what happened was Archerfield was started by a couple of race car drivers, Brian Tracy and Peter Dykes. But again, it, it all is, it's all about money, really. You've got to be prepared to, if you're going to go into something that nobody knows much about, you've got to. It's a risk thing. You've got to get into it. And give it your all. And so Ronnie Wanless and I got into it, and we got it going, got it off the ground. But it was a it was a jalopy sort of a thing. It was in an area that I didn't like. Ron didn't mind it because he came from out that area. But uh, it was at Archerfield near the airport. But uh, it just didn't grab me as being something that I'd want to spend a lot of time in. So I sold out to Ronnie. And uh, he got a couple of other partners. I think he got Bill, Bill Good, another driver, uh, in, into it with him at one stage of the game. But, um, no, it, 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 it's a hard thing to get anything going that that's up against things like Exhibition. Exhibition Speedway was a unique thing. It was in the middle of the city. It was a beautiful track. It had all the amenities that were needed to, to sit. 20, 20 or 25,000 people easily into it. Uh, and it was just, a, it, was, it was hard for anything else to come up against. Um, Blair, the, the whole area of, of Speedway as you see it today, where do you think the sport is heading? 
I, I honestly, I can't say. I, I don't. I don't think it's the way it's going. I don't. You've got to have somebody at the helm that wants it to go properly. And I don't know any. Anyway, I think Ron. Ron is not interested in that side of it. He's interested in. He's got the land out there, and he gets a, a, a certain amount of money out of it every week, which he thinks is good. And it is, but it's what he he's prepared to do. I live in a different world altogether to that. But it, it's horses for courses, as they say. But I don't think Speedway can, it can ever be out there like it was at the exhibition ground. Totally agree. I think the key to all of these things is the fact that you just hit it on the head a while ago. The track was in the inner city area. It was like a showground track. We saw it in Sydney. Uh, we saw it in, in Adelaide. We saw it at Perth, at Claremont Showground. The, the inner city venues are gone, and I think something also disappeared out of the sport as well. That's only my personal opinion, but the facilities were magnificent, and we do not have those same facilities today, and I believe that has put the sport back. I really do. Look at the cost. To have that showground, you'd never be able to get it, obviously, uh, because the show society would not let it be destroyed. They they think running a successful business has got to be horse jumping and all that. It's an agricultural sort of a thing. Now, in Perth, that is that, that the original Claremont Speedway was an absolute plum. I loved it. I only went over there twice. I loved racing there. I won both my feature races over there, and it was just so 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 different. It was such a quick track. I mean, it was a it was a third. It was a, a no, nearly a half a mile. The, the Sydney Showground, I think, yes, it was nearly it was a, a third big. of a mile. Yeah, but it was yeah, it was, it was, it was a, bigger than it was the Sydney a, Showground. Oh, bigger than the Sydney Showground. Big, big, big track. And you know, really wide open. When you put the boot into it, there, you really knew you were going quick. You also raced twice at Western Springs, representing Australia in the uh, in the three way yeah, uh, three way Origin uh, country clashes. I think we did. Yeah, I raced over there for about four or five years. Actually, we just used to go over. We did a deal with Harley Arthur, the promoter, Bill Good, and myself. We used to go over there every Christmas. The, go over and race the New Year's Eve and then stay there for a couple of weeks racing. It was good fun. We got to know a lot of good people over there. They were really great people. How did you make that connection and, and get that relationship going? Well, I met a fellow in Brisbane by the name of Nick Begovic and uh, he had a little car. I think I'm just trying to go back. I think Nick had a little car. No, he didn't have the car yet. That's right. He gave, when I got to New Zealand, I had the car and I had Billy with me and, and Bill had his car. And Nick came to us and he said, look, I've got a little garage down the road. If you want somewhere to put your car to work on it, you can come over there. And so that's how, how it happened. Pate again stepped in and got, gave me with a, put me in with the right plug. He had the right gear, right, right close to the showground over there. And it was good. We really enjoyed our stays. We did it for about, Oh, I think seven or eight years. And it was like Claremont, Claremont Speedway in Perth. That was just something special to be able to go over there and enjoy what you were doing and have everybody on side taking you. We were to hop in boats and go out to Rottnest Island and do all the things 
all the things that I like doing away from Speedway, but involved with the Speedway. Just one more question for me, Blair. How do you feel in your day-to-day after such an exciting life? <laughs> oh, there's always something to do. Uh, there's one other thing that you never asked me about, and I was sort of wrapped in the fact that I did it. I, I, being in the car business, I went to Sydney with a car, and I, I wanted to sell it to a fellow at this car yard. This fellow, Ash Marshall, had sports cars in his yard, and I had a Maserati that I wanted to sell. I went and saw him. I, I think there? I know what you're going to say, Blair, but go on. Yep, yep. Well, I bought, I did a deal with him. I sold him my Maserati, and I traded his race car. He had a, a double-A fueler, you know, one of those long string slingshot things. I'd never sat in one, but I, uh, I just saw it there, and I thought, oh, well, that's another thing to do. So I did a deal with him, and uh, I put it on the back of my car and drove it home. And uh, I knew I met Keith Williams through other things. The, he was the promoter of the drag slip down the Gold Coast. And I went and saw him. I said, listen, I've got a little drag rail here. Uh, when's your next meeting? And he said, oh, I've got a meeting. I've got a couple of Americans out here at the moment. Come down and I'll pitch you against them. So I did. Went down there and... Uh, I won the race. I won the national title down there. I'm not down there. I won a race there against the Americans. And then the, the promoter flew me to Sydney with the car and we uh, drove it down there and we won the national title in 1972. If you look it up in the record books, That's right. Blair Shepard won. Yeah. I, yeah. I, do, I do recall that, just, Blair. Yes, it was in the latter part of your just, career. I, I do recall. Yeah. yeah. Just, just a good... Another good thing that happened. Speedway led me into a lot of good things, I can tell you. When all the stories get told, Blair, it's, it's going to be more than just this one show, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm retired now. Here I am up in Brisbane. Everybody says it's not the place to be, but I'll tell you what, I have the best property in Queensland or like for a holiday resort. I bought, I bought, I got into the building, I built a hotel up there at Bramston Beach years ago, which was very kind to me, and I got a few dollars out of that over the... I had it for 10 years and made a lot of money, had a lot of fun up there. But uh, now I've bought a property. I've got 16 acres on the beach at a place called Tugum, which is just part of Harvey Bay, the northern end of Harvey Bay, and it is the most priceless piece of real estate. Gold wouldn't take it off me, but it's, it's, it's just... It's just such a good way of life. I go up there every chance I get, and I should be up there now with this silly flu that I've got. I should be up there recuperating, but I'll be up there in another three or four weeks and I'll be sucking into the whole thing beautifully. (laughs) Well, Blair, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show and look forward to having another opportunity to talk to you in the future. Anytime. Great to talk to you, Blair, and uh, take care. Look after yourself. Take care and stay stay You look after yourself. you're a priceless piece of Speedway. One thing about Speedway, it's blessed to have had a man like you that documented things and did it because you did it good and you were a good man with it too. Thanks very much, Blair. I really appreciate those nice words. That's very, very good of you, Blair. Take care. Sydney Speedway was special. There was a couple of things about it. <clears throat> One was... Mike Raymond. Mike was a very, very good thing for Speedway, I thought. I, I think you'd agree with that, wouldn't you? Yeah, look, Mike Raymond, through the era of particularly 
He got his start working yeah. for John Sherwood at the Sydney Showground in the yeah. mid-60s. Yeah. Then when yeah. he moved to Liverpool City Raceway, that's where he had some of the best promotions Australian Speedway has ever seen. And that was on the pavement, wasn't it? That well, was pavement, he had pavement for the car. Yeah, he, he did for a while have pavement there. But, I mean, he made the breakthrough with the World Pairs Solo Bike World Championship. He brought out yeah. Polish test teams. Uh, you raced him. You raced at Liverpool in a Super Modified. Um, you know, uh, you know it, it, it was a wonderful era. And Mike Raymond was a very talented man, a very, very astute promoter. And he came from the old school, Blair. And I've always said that yeah. he had a great talent and, and that's why he was so good, you know? Yeah, he was a good man. All right. Anyway, it's been great to talk to you and uh, I'll look forward to talking to you in the future. Thanks very much to Blair Thanks Shepherd joining us here on Inside Speedway. Well, we are definitely, Dennis Newland, going to have to have Blair Shepard back on the show because there's plenty more stories to hear from him and uh, it was fantastic to have him give us the time today. I think we only scratched the surface. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a, a great bloke and, and I must say a man I've known for many, many years and uh, uh, he's he's... He's always been good for a story, for a quote. If I was ever looking for a, um, a news item or doing work for a Speedway publication or my own publications, I think I need I need a, a news story. I need a couple of good, lively quotes to, to get a news story going here as the lead story. Who am I going to ring? It was either one or two people, George Tatnall or Blair Shepard. <laughs> and they both came up with some quality interviews and quality quotes. So that's Blair. That's why he is the personality of the golden era, uh, a man who took the sport, in, particularly in uh, his home city of Brisbane, uh, to, to another level. He really did. He was, he was one of those really colourful personalities that sadly, in the sport today, Craig, without being controversial, we... we or not wishing to be controversial, we don't have those kind of, or many of them anyway, but uh, in back in the era there were a lot of those kind of Blair Shepherds uh, driving speed cars or riding silos or, or riding sidecars for that matter. Indeed. Well, we'll be back next week, Dennis, here on Inside Speedway. Looking forward to talking to you then. Yes, thanks very much, Craig.